I want to uh, ask you to think about the most successful thing you ever did. Take a minute. The most successful thing you ever did. I had a hard time thinking about this because in some ways as I get older, all my previous successes don't seem quite as bright as they did at the time. I think you get a little humbler as you age. You get beat down by life and you realize that even what you might consider a success in the present moment is really not that impressive. So I had a bit of a hard time, but think about it. The most successful thing you ever did. What made it succeed? If you were to think about it, what made that successful thing successful? I'm willing to bet that um, clarity of vision had something to do with it. You may have read about this in business books. You may have sat in seminars that taught you the importance of having a clear vision, knowing where you're going. You may have experienced working in an organization that lacked a clear vision and then had kind of a transformational experience whereby they refreshed their vision and you noticed that the organization began tracking again in a new and exciting way. Clarity of vision contributes to success. Maybe you just found yourself with a perfect opportunity. Maybe you know somebody like this. They are perfectly suited to do the thing that God has opened up the door for them to do. And because of that perfect opportunity, they are being successful. We all know people like this. My brother-in-law was an example. He had a restaurant in downtown Montreal. And it's a bit of a paradox. You think it wasn't that successful. I mean, they weren't making millions of dollars. But it was a vibrant and a thriving place. And when you would watch him work, you could just see that he was doing that thing that he had been made to do, interacting with people, helping people have a wonderful communal experience. He was a success. It was a perfect opportunity for him. I'm willing to bet that a really strong team had something to do with your success. I experience this every fall as we come to a new football season, coaching here at Centennial High School in the city. And every fall as we begin training camp, we're kind of trying to assess where we might be at the end of the season based on who we have on the team. Coaching staff contributes. The volunteers from the school who help us contribute. The teachers who help organize it contribute. A team is a big part of doing something successful. Maybe you might say that tenacity and hard work were basically the bottom line of the most successful thing you ever did. Can you think back to something that you really worked hard on and it succeeded? Make sure you notice and cherish those things because, of course, you know you will find times in life where you work really hard and it doesn't pan out like you'd hoped. But with that really successful moment, I'm willing to bet that uh, tenacity and hard work had something to do with it. And I'm also willing to bet that beneath all of the layers that we have just discussed, if you strip them all back, I think you'll find that um, at the heart of it, you succeeded because God was at work. We see this clearly in Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife 
cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, my master, because, my, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. She told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is uh, one of the stories that I really remember from Sunday school. I don't know if I have an affinity for streaking, if that's why, but the image of Joseph running naked from the house has always stuck in my mind from that day to this. This is a pretty famous story. We come back to Joseph's story. Last week was a bit of a detour. Okay, we went into uh, the story of his brother Judah and Tamar. And this week we come back to Joseph's story. And we will discover here this week in Genesis 39, keystone habit number three. So here's the definition for keystone habits for you on screen. Just want you to continue to hold in mind what a keystone habit is. This is out of one of my favorite books, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. This week, keystone habit number three. Succeed in suffering because God is at work. All right, so if you're a note taker, that's the one you write down. Near the end of the series, don't worry, we will have cards for you that have a listing of all of the Keystone Habits. We'll have an online PDF for you as well. Keystone Habit number three, succeed in suffering because God is at work. So today I want to show you from the text ten things to keep in mind as you learn to succeed in suffering because God is at work. All right, so the Keystone Habit is to learn to succeed in suffering because God is at work and to help you kind of fit that habit deep into your heart I'm going to try to show you 10 things from the text that uh, you should keep in mind as you learn to succeed in suffering because God is at work. The first thing to keep in mind, you may have to endure a season of captivity. Verse 1, And Potiphar, a eunuch of Pharaoh, the captain of the executioners, an Egyptian, had bought him. So just notice here that Joseph's life has gone from dreams of greatness to being sold as a slave. Not exactly the life plan any of us were hoping for. Okay, so if this ever happens to you, maybe it has already happened to you, it's possible that it will happen again. 
Your life does not end up as expected. It goes from better to worse. I want you to know that you're biblical. You may have to endure a season of captivity. I also want to just note here, did you notice that I substituted the uh, words actually interpreted here from the Hebrew? And Potiphar says here what? The captain of the guard. A eunuch in the original of Pharaoh. The captain of the executioners. It's interesting that um, for the first 1,500 years of church history, Potiphar was considered a homosexual. So that's what eunuch meant for the first 1,500 years of the church's history. And then the last 500 years, the interpretation around Potiphar has changed to mean that he was a cut eunuch, meaning he had had his um, sexual organs removed on purpose. This was um, traditionally the case in the Egyptian royal court. They would elevate men who had no interest in women to high positions in the court so as to keep them from approaching the women of the court. And when they could not find men whose predisposition was not inclined towards women, they would cut them. You had either a eunuch by birth, that's what the interpreters would call it, or a eunuch by cutting. Maybe you never knew that Potiphar was a eunuch. It adds a nuance to the story that I will tease out in just a moment. He's also not just the captain of the guard, he's the captain of the executioners. It's a man not to be messed with. And he's the one who purchases Joseph as a slave. I just want to point out that life is messy. It doesn't always go as planned. Even Potiphar, say he was a cut eunuch, say we square with the latest 500 years of Christian tradition, you can bet he did not growing up thinking, yay, that's, that's what I want to do with my life. Life is messy, it doesn't always go as planned. I want you to keep that in mind as you learn to succeed in suffering because God is at work. And as you keep that in mind, I want to invite you to not lose your joy. Because beautifully here, the text says that God is coming at you. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. So look, if the word here in the Hebrew was with, it would be the word im. I often tell you about Emmanuel. Imanu, with us, El, God. Imanu, the root word is im, with, Immanuel. So if the root word here in the original context was with, it would read in the original, Vayehi Adonai im Yosef. Vayehi and was Adonai, God, im, with, Yosef, Joseph. Vayehi Adonai im Yosef. Except it doesn't say im, it actually reads this way, Vayehi Adonai et Yosef. And the word et means to come to, it means towards. And behold, God was towards Joseph. This allows me to preach a very big point for you with a very big smile on my face, hopefully, and lots of joy in my heart. Friends, God is not just with you. He comes at you. Somebody say amen. Isn't it better? With you is nice. Comes at you is better. God, whoa, I love it. God comes at you. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, verse 10. I mean, that's the Gospel encapsulated right there. God comes at you. Think about the activity of God. He creates the universe, frames it, makes everything that is. He's coming at you. He creates our worlds. 
Creates a beautiful garden in the midst of it. Settles our first parents, Adam and Eve, there. He comes at them, walking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. When they sin against him, he comes at them. Where are you? He cries out. When they hide from him, he comes at them again. He says, did you eat from the fruit that I forbade you to eat from? When they admit it, he comes at them again. And he rebukes them. Even curses them. Banishes them from his presence. God is active. He comes at you. He's not asleep at the wheel. He's not chilling out. He notices everything. He's coming at you. And he did not leave Adam and Eve, nor their descendants, you and I, alone. But in the fullness of time, as the scriptures teach, he came at us in the person of God the Son. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Friend, God comes at you. He truly is relentless. He truly never lets go. He comes at you. He goes to the cross so that as he hangs there, the grace of God can actually come at you. You make no decision to make the grace of God come at you. God does it himself. While you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you. He sent his love at you. He has birthed his love in your heart. God comes at you, friend. You are not alone. And when he rose that first Easter Sunday morning, the love of God is loosed from that empty tomb. And it comes at his people. And then it indwells them as the Spirit falls on them in Acts chapter 2. And then it rolls through them as Jesus sends them out on his mission to spread the good word about Jesus to the Roman world. The gospel now comes at the Roman world from Judea. And it spreads to the ends of the earth so that the love of God might come at you today. Thousands of years removed from those events. Events that still ring true because they still have the power of the living God moving through them. Why? Because he is for you. The love of God comes at you. That's the second thing to keep in mind as you learn to succeed in suffering. I hope some of you write that down and remember it all week. God comes at you. And remember, here's the third point. He's the source of all your success, and your partnership with him should be evident to those around you. Verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Let's unpack verse 3 in reverse order. Okay, so look at it so that you can see what the reverse order is going to look like. All right, I'll read it to you one more time as you look at it. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Okay, so reverse it. Okay, unpack it in reverse order. Joseph did stuff. God caused it to succeed. Potiphar noticed it. You're welcome. That's me earning my living right there. It's not every day you look at a verse and go, wait a second. If you unpack this in reverse, it gets even more gospel power to it. Joseph did stuff. God caused it to succeed. Potiphar noticed me. All right. Those of you who have known me a while know that I love you. So when I say hard things, it's because I love you. Those of you who don't know me at all, I'm not a mean person, but sometimes I say hard things because we need to hear hard truth so that we can repent and start walking in newness of life. So I will say this in as friendly a way as possible. You ever felt like God's not blessing me? 
Next time you feel like God's not blessing you, ask yourself this question. Am I doing anything? Joseph did stuff. God caused it to succeed. Potiphar noticed it. Are you doing anything? Also, still a little bit difficult. Sorry, not sorry. Does your success look like Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people kind of success? Or does it look like Jesus, he or she who loses their life for my sake and the Gospels, will find it kind of success? Somebody said, ouch. (laughs) Big difference. (laughs) You're welcome. Big difference. You know what's really scary? I love you so much. People will notice which God you worship without you saying a word. That's both scary and very exciting. (laughs) You're like, this is my kind of church. I know! I know! Ha! People notice. You don't got to say anything. You worship money, they know it. You worship success, they know it. You worship security, they know it. You worship your reputation, they know it. You worship one high after another, substance-based, sex-based, workaholism-based, they know it. It's really incongruous when you're like, hey, do you want to come to church? You're like, you go to church? The worst thing a Christian could ever hear. Somebody say amen. Right? Put your weight in the right place. Me, I'm just trying to learn to be God's friend. Why? Because of verse 5. Notice, I'm just trying to learn how to be God's friend. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that the Lord had blessed, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that Potiphar had in house and field. This is epic. The Lord blessed Potiphar for Joseph's sake. A eunuch, unbelieving executioner, blessed by God because Joseph was his friend. You want to learn to succeed in suffering? Point number four, become God's friend. Woo! So his favor will rest on you. We come at this the wrong way, right? We're looking for a legalistic structure to give us the list of things we are forbidden to do so that we can please God. I suggest another way. I suggest friendship with God as the starting point so that his favor will rest on you, so that you will discover as you walk with him what it means to live life to the fullest. Friendship with God is the only way to endure the time you have to spend in captivity. I could say every point six times today and it would be worth your time. Right? Have you been pursuing counterfeit ways of trying to endure your time in captivity? Today, we realize why all of those efforts are ultimately fruitless. Because only friendship with God will do. How, someone help me in this house. Hallelujah, Lord. Only friendship with God will do. Why? It's going to take a while here. Verse 7. Well, oh, i got the Holy Ghost right now. And after a time... 
and after a time. What did Genesis 38 teach us last week? Nothing to do with prostitution and incest. What else did it teach us? What happened in the story of Judah and Tamar? How many years passed from when Er died till she realized that the third son was not going to be given to her in marriage? Enough years for him to grow up into a man that should have been married. The whole time, Joseph is in Egypt. Sometimes the Bible is subtle, and you have to tease out the truth. And after a time, he's in captivity for a long time. Is there anybody else in this house? Oh, wait, sorry, i got to give you the point first. Point five, um, your story may take a while to unfold. Is there anybody else in this house who's ready to walk out of the valley of the shadow of death? Holler at me. Okay, is there anybody in this house who's ready, already to walk out of the wilderness? It's been 40 years. I'm ready, Lord, to walk out. Is there anybody in this house who's ready for new wine and new wineskins? Is there anybody in this house who's ready for the latter rain? I'm ready. It's been a while. Okay, if you feel that urge, I want to tell you you're biblical. Okay, look, me too. It's been a while. Walking with Jesus is a grind. Don't let anybody tell you different. Okay, it's a grind. And the only way to survive the grind is to be God's friend. How am I going to get through this, Lord? It's going to take a while. I'm already tired. You get through the time it's going to take for your story to unfold by making sure, point six, that you let your... This is so good. Thank you, Lord. Let your relationship with God be the foundation of all your other relationships. Where did I get this from? Verse 7. Potiphar's wife. Lie with me, Joseph. Here's that nuance I said I would tease out. So look, whether Potiphar lacked the proper equipment or lacked the interest, Zalika was getting no quality time. Like, who's Zalika? That's his wife. Isn't it much better when she has a name? I don't know if I'm becoming a feminist in my old age <laughs> or if I'm just so beat down by life that I'm, I have a developing bias for those who are beat down among us. But I was very glad to discover her name. That's her name in Islamic tradition. That's her name in Jewish tradition, rabbinic tradition, Zalika. Just say her name in your mind, Zalika. You ever demonized her? Maybe repent? It ain't a big deal. She wasn't having any sex. This is an unloved woman. Well, are you justifying what she did? I don't even want to talk about that. What I want to say is that she's a real person. She's not an archetype. And her suffering was real, not imaginary. And I wouldn't be surprised that when she approached Joseph for a little physical affection, it had a little more to do with the fact that he was so good-looking. His reply is pretty interesting, verse 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what he's saying here? Centuries before the words were written in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us. You're not going to sleep with your master's wife because the love of Christ compels you. How can I sin against God? The love of Christ 
compels me. You want to learn to succeed in suffering because God is at work? Let your relationship with God drive everything else in your life. Joseph's relationship with God is driving the way in which he related to Zelika. It drove the way in which he related to Potiphar, his master. I'd like to be that kind of person. I don't know about you. But you want to get to that place where just unconsciously, your deep relationship with God, it's like a governor or like cruise control or almost like, it's not autopilot, but it helps you when you need it. Like the way in which some of our cars will now parallel park us if we need a little help. I want to get to that place where my relationship with God drives every other relationship in my life. I want that to be the truth even in my darkest nights. That's point number seven. Verses 19 through 20, Zelika tells Potiphar what happened. Potiphar's anger is kindled against Joseph. He throws him in prison. Let me just point out that he had no trial, no chance to defend himself. Here's the point. Sometimes life is very dark and very unfair. You're not the only one. Okay? You're not cursed. Post-Eden, all of the human experience is cursed. You're like, all of it? Yeah, all of it. Which is why new life in Jesus... Right? New life in Jesus. A newness that starts now here in the Shadowlands, like tulips poking up through spring snow, is so very inspiring and attractive. you got to say amen in this house. Do you believe it? Because all of the human experience is cursed, that the good news about Jesus is such good news, you mean I can come to Jesus Put my trust in him. Begin learning what it means to love, follow, serve, obey, and enjoy him all the days of my life. And the beauty of eternity will begin filtering its way back into my life in the now. Sign me up. Sign me up. Because I'm ready for spring rain. And I'm ready for new life to break out in the midst of death. The only people who aren't are people who haven't suffered who are deluding themselves. It's in light of this that verses 21 through 23, as I close, are the best words ever. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. This is amazing. The Lord, again, the Lord was at Joseph. Not with, at. He was coming at Joseph, even in the prison. And get this, and he stretched out to him kindness. Receive it. Even in your darkest night, God comes at you. And when you can't reach Him, He stretches out to you. Eighth point. He is with. He shows. He gives. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Sear this in your mind. With, shows, gives. That's God's character. Never forget it. With, shows, gives. And in light of that, point number nine, keep working. And worship team, you can join me on stage because I'm almost done. 
In light of the fact that the character of God is to be with, to show, and to give, keep working while you learn to succeed in suffering because God is at work. Why keep working? Because, verse 22, part B, whatever was done there in the prison, he, Joseph, was the one who did it. Put this on a t-shirt. Work in captivity. You want to deal with your suffering? Work. Work in captivity. That's how you achieve greatness. That's how you learn to succeed in suffering because we know that. Tenth and final point. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. Somebody say hallelujah. You might have to endure a season of captivity, but know that God comes at you. He's the source of your success, and everybody should be able to see it. So become God's friend and enjoy His favor, knowing that your story may take a while to unfold. But in the meantime, your relationship with God will drive everything else in your life. And even in your darkest nights, He's with you. He shows. He gives. He is with you. So keep working, knowing that whatever you do, as you abide in friendship with God, because of what Jesus has done for you, you will succeed because God is at work.